kids, come on up. Come on up. But the thing is, 
If I try to walk around going, I've got good works and I've got life, but I'm not connected to God, there's no power. And I really don't have a good life. I just have a lamp that doesn't work. But if I have it connected to if I have it connected to God's power, then I really have good light that I can then show to the rest of the world. And when people see that good light, they will recognize that it's from God and they will glorify God and give Him praise. Father, I ask that you bless these kids. Lord, this is a kind of a hard lesson for, for younger people to grasp because it's a little abstract, but Father, you can enlighten them. You can give them insight beyond anything we can understand. And so Jesus, I ask that you help them to understand that you've called each one of us to be children of light. You've asked us to carry the gospel message to the world around us. You've asked us to love in your name and to show people what it means to be a follower. And you called that light. And you said it was light shining in the darkness, the evil of the world. So God, help us to recognize that we have light only when we're connected to you. And that that light will cause every human being to worship you and glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, you guys can go back and sit with your folks. And I'm going to move this away from the open flames. But we'll leave it with. I'm thankful that I didn't destroy my lamp. Because it really wasn't supposed to have that happen. It was supposed to be kind of unplugged. These things happen in your brain and then they don't do what you think they're supposed to do. How about this? Alright. I was brought up in a Navy home. My dad was active duty Navy when I was born. And then he went to sea a number of times throughout his 23-year career. And we had a large family, so we didn't have to move as much or as often as some military families did, but we still had to move a lot. And the other day, you know how on Facebook, if, if you're part of Facebook, how they're always trying to get information about you by playing little games? Like, how do you spell your name using no vowels? What's the first letter of your middle name? What, what, what year were you born in? What was the best song of the, all the charts of the day that you, you know, all of these things to get you to give information. Well, one of those things that came up this last week was, how many places have you lived in your life? <laughs> average is about 10 or 11 for every average adult. And I started counting it up, and I stopped counting after 30. Literally, from the time I was born until today, I have lived in more than 30 homes. And that doesn't mean visiting somebody. That means actually moving to that place and living there for a period of time. I can remember when I, I, and I was Navy, but then, then I literally went to basic training with my military dependent ID card. And in the, in the basic training, they said, how many of you people have a military ID card from your parents? And you're out. Oh. They said, give it to us. And they took it, and then they gave me my active duty military ID card. Now I was active duty military. So, so I literally have been involved with the military for almost all of my life. I was out of the military for three months without an ID card. Other than that, I've always had a military ID card. Always. And as a result, I have always moved. It has been in 
imprinted on my on who I am as a human being, then you move every two years. And in some cases you move before that. Because you know you, you move to a location, you have to do temporary housing, and so basic family housing comes available, and then you have to move into that. Well, we were in England, we moved into temporary quarters, then we moved from the temporary quarters downtown, and then we got from downtown into the base housing, but then the base was closing and that housing was going away, so we had to move to another house. So in one assignment, less than three years, I was in four different houses. And then we moved to Texas, my last assignment in the military. And somewhere around the two and a half year point, Renee and I talked about this. This itch started happening. Something's not right. We're still in the same house. We haven't gotten an assignment yet. What's the deal? And I stayed in that house for five years. That's the longest I had ever lived any place in my entire life. I can remember being jealous of people who had the notches on the doorframe from when their kids were little and it's now they're ready, ready to go to college. And I, I never experienced that even in my life, and let alone my kids. And then they went to Bible college, and we were there for five years, and in that place we lived three different places. Temporary lodging, and then, and then finally got into a place, and then after... Not even a year we had a flood in that house and we ended up having to move out. Finally we bought a house, thank God, and we were able to stay there for four years in that house. But then we came here. And we've lived in this house for 18 years. And this is home, and I'm settled here. This is where I'm going to live the rest of... No, it's not, because I can't be the pastor the rest of my life. At some point I'm going to have to retire or I'll die. But either way, I can't live in this house for the rest of the life. So I've got at least, at least one more move before I leave this earth. It's hard to not be rooted. It's hard to, to always feel like you're moving around or and some of you haven't a clue what I'm talking about. Some of you have lived in the same community, in the same house, your entire life. And I hate you. <laughs> I'm kidding. But you don't have a point of reference from, to where I'm speaking. Because you've never, ever left Fairbanks. Now, I can remember back when I was 19, 20, 30, 35, I used to say, oh, I feel badly for all these people. They've never lived farther away from their place than 30 miles they're just missing out on so much. But now that I've lived someplace for 18 years and I know what it means to remain in the same spot for 18 years, I was so wrong. <laughs> there is something to be said for being in one place and getting to know that place and owning it for yourself and feeling like you are part of something and it's, it's just a satisfying, wonderful, glorious, I can't express it, but it, it reaches into who I am as a human being to have that solid connection. <clears throat> Turn with me now to the Gospel of John, chapter 15. Craig, could you bring up that very first slide, thank you? 
John chapter 15 is a very familiar passage of Scripture. It's the passage where Jesus is teaching to his disciples, and he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. My father is the vine dresser, or the gardener. And my father, well, let's just read it. It's the very first few verses in chapter 15 of John. I am the true vine, Jesus said. My Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, God the Father takes away. Every branch that does bear fruit, the Father prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish. And it will be done for you. But this, my father, by this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. And it goes on. But that's enough for now. Who are the main characters in this little parable, if you will? There's the vine dresser, God the Father. There's Jesus, the vine. And there's us, the branches. Now, if you read commentary on this passage, it was probable that Jesus was sitting near some type of a grape vineyard. Because that was part of the agricultural product that the, the nation of Israel produced. So it's very possible that that's what he was referring to and they might have been sitting there and he was actually pointing. But the people there had an incredible frame of reference. They understood because they lived it. We don't grow grapes here. I don't think there's anybody in Fairbanks that has a grape yard, a vineyard here. Is there? Circle. Circle. He used to grow grapes in circle. He, he's, he used to. Failed. Too cold. Go back to sleep. I'm just kidding. But, but, but think about it. We don't really have a point of reference. But if you've seen pictures or if you know anything about it, or maybe you've been to Circle and seen the operation that's no longer an operation anymore. But think about it. There is a, 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 a thing that comes up out of the ground, right? And then the branches have to be supported on wires or string or rope or something. But this thing that comes up out of the ground, that's the vine. Okay? That's the part where all of the nutrients and all of the, the water flows from. And then the branches are what then have the, the leaves and then the buds that become the grapes. Okay? So in Jesus' lecture or, or, or object lesson to these disciples that he's talking to them in, in this chapter, he's saying, you see each one of those branches that have all those heavy grapes hanging off of them? 
the vine dresser, the guy who's responsible for helping us to all grow, it's his responsibility to watch continually. And if he sees that there's a branch that's just no longer producing, he cuts it away. Why? Because it then enables the ones that are producing to have greater, um, greater re- access to the resources. Those of you who garden, you probably know what I'm talking about. If you've got suckers that you need to break, cut off so that the, the sort of the fruit that's still there can actually grow healthy and strong, rather than having a bunch of little nothing, you want to have two or three really good solid tomatoes or whatever. Um, that's what Jesus was talking about here. He was saying the vine dresser, his job is to go through and, and to, to prune back the things that are not producing, and things that are producing, he says he even prunes those so that they'll produce even more. And what Jesus said was, when these branches that aren't producing are cut away, they are literally just tossed into a pile and eventually they're burned. They're not good for anything. So that's the lesson. That's the story. And, you know, obviously we're supposed to remain in the vine, abide in the vine, so that we can be fruitful. But I wanted to, as I was reading this, and I, I hope the Holy Spirit has already been talking to you about it as well, as we read this out loud, you kept hearing one word over and over and over and over and over again. It was abide, 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 abide. And as I was praying about how and what I needed to say to you guys today, that was the word that God would not let me get away from. So, can you bring up the next slide for me, Fred? That little white box there with those funny squiggles in it, that's the Greek that says meno. M-E-N-O. Meno. Which means abide. Remain. Dwell. Continue. There is a there is a, a word in Greek that appears in the Gospel of John just a chapter or two ahead of this chapter, and it's the Greek word mone. Okay, this is meno. The other Greek word is, is mone, and mone is house, dwelling place. In my father's mone, my father's house, there are many places for you to reside and to dwell. This word, meno, is not a noun, it is a verb. So it means you're doing something. There's an action that's taking place. But if you read the Gospel of John chapter 15, as Jesus is explaining to his disciples all about this vine dresser who's clipping branches and pruning branches and the vine that's supporting him. He continually says a command to his disciples. Abide. Abide. It's not a suggestion, it's a command. It means the disciples are supposed to just, are not supposed to just be passive. They are to be actively engaged in remaining. Actively engaged in abiding. It's not something that's being done to you. The fruit, the fruit that comes out of the branch isn't because you're just there and it just happens to grow off of you. But there's an intentionality that Jesus is commanding through this parable. He's saying, you who are the branch, abide. Go back one slide. 
John chapter 15 verse 4 was the verse for me as I was studying this week. Abide in me. Mayno in me. And I will mayno in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it maynos, unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you produce fruit unless you know in me, unless you remain in me, abide in me, dwell in me. What's the, bring that other slide back up. What was the last one? Continue in me. I understand living someplace for 18 years because I've experienced it. That's kind of like a passive thing. I wasn't intentionally every day saying, well, I'm not going to move out of the house today. I just got up every morning and showered, dressed, brushed my teeth, and went about my business. I just lived there. There was no intentionality about staying there. Nobody was forcing me out. There was no reason to think about having to leave or not come back in the but Jesus, in this thing, is saying, in order to be fruitful, you have to be intentional Amen. about being abiding, connected, remaining, dwelling, continuing in this relationship with God. And the thing that's so cool and we're going to get to it in just a second, but the thing that's so cool is that when you come into relationship with God, God comes into relationship with you. Amen. The Holy Spirit of God literally comes in and goes inside and, and dwells, mayos, in you. It says, well, let's go ahead and go to the next slide. The guy who wrote this gospel, John, the beloved, is also the guy who wrote the three letters that are just before Revelation, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And guess what? He likes the word meno. If you look at a word study of meno, it's all over the place in the Gospel of John and all over the place in the three letters of John. And then it appears a little bit in some of the others. But in all of these places in the Gospel of John and in the letter of John, he's literally talking about intentionally abiding, remaining, continuing, or dwelling. So I want to just quickly look through it. I have these listed in order as if you were doing a Bible study. So take your phones out, click the thing, and you'll go back and refer to it uh, next week. Go ahead and leave that screen up, Craig, please. Um, so John chapter 4, excuse me, 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, verse 15. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and that person abides in God. So the very first thing about this intentionality of being in right connection, and dwelling, and remaining, and continuing, is you first have to confess that Jesus is the Son of God. Which goes along with the idea of confessing your sins, and repenting, and, and, and acknowledging that you are a sinner before God, but that... God the Father has wooed you, and you now have Jesus as your Savior. John chapter 4, 1 John chapter 4, verse 15. 1 John chapter 3, just a page back, verse 24 says, 
Whoever keeps God's commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. So, you confess that God, that Jesus is the Son of God. You then obey your commandments. And God abides in you, and you abide in God. And as a result, you can know that this connection, this abiding, this remaining, this continuing, is going on. How? Because the very presence of the Holy Spirit of God is with you. You see, when I was working with the kids just a few minutes ago, I could only go so far. I couldn't walk across the room carrying my light. Why? Because the power cord only went so far. But God, in God's wonderful grace and wisdom, made a permanent battery, if you will, that gets installed down inside your heart so that you always have the power of God with you no matter where you go. You don't have to go to the source. The source stays with you so that you can do the good deeds, so that you can obey the commandments, so that you can be a light to the community so that you don't have to invite the community here. You can go to where they're at. This is part of the intentionality of abiding. We have to confess that we need a Savior and that Jesus is the only Son of God. Then we have to obey the commandments. And when we do all of this, the Holy Spirit of God comes and enters in with us and literally empowers us to live the life that God is calling us to live. Look at the next one. 1 John chapter 3, verse 6. No one who abides in him, in God, keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Well, that's a powerful statement. I am not in any way being disparaging to any of my Christian brothers and sisters that have different theology from me. But you need to hear Wesleyan theology, which is what we adhere to in this church. Wesleyan Arminian theology says that sin is defined as this, a willful transgression of the known law of God. In other words, you know you're not supposed to do it, and you willfully choose to do it anyway. Therefore, you are a sinner. Or, you know that you are supposed to do something, and you willfully refuse to do it. Therefore, you are a sinner. Now, you will hear some of your brothers and sisters who attend different churches say, I sin every day in thought, word, and deed. Let me help you understand their understanding of sin. Their understanding of sin is based on the Greek word hamartia. Hamartia. Hamartia literally means throwing a dart at a dartboard and missing the bullseye. Or taking an arrow and shooting the arrow at a target and missing the mark. Hamartia means to miss your mark. So if there is a perfect standard of holiness that we are called to live, and you don't live a perfect standard of holiness every moment of every single day, 
Whether you're intending to or not, whether you're intending to not do it or not, if that's just missing the mark, then their definition is, I've, I've sinned every day and thought we're to need because I've never been perfectly holy. But we understand through our theology that God holds us accountable for, our, for the choices that we make. God does not hold us accountable for being human. Okay? In other words, I'm exhausted. I don't feel well. <coughs> I feel miserable. My head's stuck. I've got a headache. I have been working all day. I'm exhausted. I come in, and my little kids are standard of holiness in my relationship with my children? No. That was hamartia. I missed the mark. Was that a willful choice? No. I was being a human being who didn't feel good, who had a headache, who was exhausted, and had this constant nagging, going, not just simply be alone for a minute, please! Was my response right, loving, and holy? No. But I wasn't intending to harm. I wasn't choosing to, to do something wrong. And so what we understand by that is that, that God sees that and extends grace to us in that area. But when we go, <coughs> even though we know that our words are hurting, and we continue to use those words because we want them to hurt, now we've got a problem with that resolve between us and God. You see the difference between the two definitions of sin? So what I'm saying, from my theology and my understanding of willful choice, let's go back to 1 John chapter 3, verse 6. No one who abides in Christ keeps on intentionally doing the wrong thing. No one who keeps on intentionally doing the wrong thing has even seen him. You're just fooling yourself if you think that you can claim Christ as your Savior. Because if every day in your world you intentionally do the wrong thing and you know you're doing the wrong thing, how can you even say you're a Christian? And that's what, that's what Jesus is saying to, that's what John is saying Jesus taught. If you are going to say you're a Christian and you are abiding in the vine so that you can be fruitful, then you don't sin. You don't choose to do the wrong. 1 John chapter 2, verses 4 through 6. Whoever says, I know him, but doesn't keep his commandments is a liar. That's a strong statement. We don't talk like that in this tolerant age, do we? We can't ever tell anybody that they're a sinner or a liar. But you can. If the word of God declares it so, then it can be spoken, whether it offends or not. We know, what in verse 4? Whoever says, I know him, but doesn't keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which Jesus walked. In other words, I should be striving, intentionally trying to be like Jesus. How did Jesus respond to the woman who was found in adultery? Caught in the middle of a horrible sin that demanded by their culture that she be killed instantly. How did Jesus respond to that? How did Jesus respond to the woman 
who had an issue of blood, who was trying to sneak a miracle. How did Jesus respond when the woman from Syrophoenicia said, I need your healing touch on my child? And he said, I can't go to you. You're from a different group I'm not sent to. And she said, but Master, even the dogs are allowed to eat from the, 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 the crumbs that fall under the children's table. And he literally stops in his tracks and turns and says, I have not seen such faith even in all of Israel. What you've been granted, requested has been granted. Jesus showed grace and mercy and love and compassion in all of his dealings with every single human being, regardless of what their sin was. Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, get down from the tree. i got to be at your house tonight for dinner. Well, I knows. Nobody wants to come to my house. I'm a pariah in this community. I don't care what people think. I want to eat at your house. I'll be right down. This is how Jesus lived, and this is how we are called to live if we say we abide in him. First John chapter 4, verse 16. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God. And God abides in Him. These are hard words. Especially in our Western North American because for the last 30 or 40 or 50 years there have been culture wars. The evangelical against the blah, blah, blah. The evangelical against the blah, blah, blah. We have the abortion issue. We have the homosexuality issue. We have the transgender issue. We have the this. We have the that. We have the this. And if you're a conservative, you need to be this way. And if you're this, and, it, and the reality is, folks, and I'm not trying to be political in any way, shape, or form, the reality is we are called as Christians to live a totally different standard from the rest of the world. And you wouldn't know it Amen. by looking at the Christians in North America. Amen. Come on. I have certain things that God has told me I cannot do. And I need to live my life under those rules. That's following the commandments. I have certain things that I am called to do. And that is being a good servant of my master. Amen. But if I want to live like God wants me to live, then I need to live the way Jesus lived. And that was one of love and tolerance and acceptance. Now, he did call sin, sin. Because if you remember the story of the woman caught in adultery, what did he say to her at the end of all of that? Go and sin no more. I don't condemn you for this account. But heaven help you the next time. Did you hear what, the, what he did? He extended grace. But it was grace with a warning. Hey, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt this time. But you can't come back to me next week with the same exact situation and expect me to respond in exactly the same way. Because we don't play that way, sweetie. Amen. God is a God of... Holiness and perfection, and this is what is expected. I can I can give you a, 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 I can give you a guinea once, maybe twice, but you can't keep coming back saying, "Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know. I'm sorry, my, my mistake. I'm a human. 
Because eventually, you're going to get cut off. And it's the same thing with us. A person who says that they are a Christian and then doesn't follow the commandments is a liar. This is a real quick, quick study. Go back to uh, the very first one of John chapter 4, chapter 15. Chapter 15, verse 1. Thank you. Abide in me. This is the verse I told you. Couldn't get rid of. Couldn't leave me. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in him. The last thing I wanted to ask you with this, and we'll just leave this screen up for the rest of the time. What fruit? It's not grapes. So what fruit are you supposed to be bearing? I would say the fruit of the Spirit, because that's being like Christ. Love, joy, patience, kindness, peace. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Those are all Christ-like qualities. And those are things that the Holy Spirit actually brings about as you stay and remain connected to God. This is not something you have to try and put on. This is something that grows out of who you are in relationship with God. The Christ-likeness comes out the more that you spend time with God. You become more like the Master. But what other fruit? And I would go back to what Jesus said in his Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5, which is what I said to the kids this morning. Let your light so shine in the darkness that the people living in the darkness see your good deeds. And have no choice but to glorify your Father who is in heaven. See, that's what I see as the fruit. Because I was reading, I, I, I read a number of, of, of commentaries on this idea of fruitfulness, and, and, and some of them were trying to say, well, you need to have notches on your gun belt, of, uh, on your gun barrel, I mean, of how many you've got for the Lord. Remember that from a couple weeks ago? Or was that last week? I've had too many days in between. But that's not what it's about, folks. See, you don't save anybody. The Holy Spirit of God does the salvation. Your job is to proclaim. Your job is to live. Your job is to be light. The Holy Spirit of God does the convicting. The Holy Spirit of God does the saving. So you can't say to me, that in order to be bearing fruit, I have to be able to show i got ten notches on my gun barrel this year. Got ten people saved. That doesn't mean that God won't use me. There are some people who are specifically called to evangelism. They, they are gifted in that area, and they will see a greater amount of people respond to the gospel than some others will. But that doesn't negate your responsibility to live a life of holiness and purity and fruitfulness in the Holy Spirit. Because the fruitfulness is your good works, your light shining in the darkness, which causes the people in the darkness to do to have no excuse but to declare that God is good. Amen. That there is indeed a God. I can recognize something about you. I can't put my finger on what it is, but there's something about you as I've observed you in your life. And it's at that moment, when they say that to you, you can say, well, I can tell you what it is. It's God living in me. 
Because when I came, became a Christian, according to 1 John chapter, it says that if I confess that Jesus is the Son of God, that God will abide with me. If I follow His commandments, then God will abide with me. If I am living a life of purity and holiness and love, God will abide in me, and God will produce in me Christ's likeness, which is what you're seeing. Amen. Is it making sense? Yeah. See, abiding isn't a static thing. It is a verb that can be commanded. So the question for you now is, and I hope you took the pictures and you did this study over the week for the next week, go back through those verses and ask the Lord, am I truly abiding in you? Have I truly, over the course of however many years I've been serving you, truly been abiding in you? And if not, where do I need to fix? Again, it's an intentionality. It is an active verb. It is something that Jesus commands. So it is something you have to do. Does it make sense? Yeah. Let's pray. Jesus, whoo! I feel like this was from you. Hopefully it's not me that we're talking to. But the reality is, I need to look at myself as well, God. Mm -hmm. Help me, God, to be intentional as I abide in you. Mm -hmm. I give you glory, Father. I praise you in Jesus.